0: Well, once again, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you all here, whether you're in person or watching online. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Andrew. Um, It is an honor to be up front today, able to share uh, from this series that we've been doing called The Heart of the Matter. And uh, if you haven't been with us in this series, The Heart of the Matter, we have been looking through some of Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of his most famous uh, set of teachings from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's a a group of passages that we're going to be going through uh, throughout the course of the year. We started it uh, back earlier in the year, then we stepped away from it, and now we're back in it. And in this series, we have been really looking at uh, different ways where Jesus is taking, hey, these are some of the common thoughts or beliefs or practices, and then he takes it and kind of turns it upside down. He kind of deepens it or he critiques it. Because here in this passage, in the Sermon on the the Mount— He's talking to his people about what does it look like for us to be kingdom people, to be people who are living for God's kingdom rather than our own. And so today, if you're here with us and you are a follower of Jesus, you put your faith and trust in him, these are words for for you and for me to learn and to challenge us on uh, what it looks like to follow him. And if you're not a follower of Jesus uh, and you're still listening today, I'm so thankful that you are here I'd encourage you to listen in and to, to think about what, what does it look like to, to live in, in God's kingdom and to, to live for Jesus and what kind of kingdom is, is he desiring to build here on earth with his people because I think it's a pretty compelling kingdom. I think it's something that is, uh, is amazing when we begin to look at it. And this type of way that he wants us to live, it's kind of uh, going to the rhythm of a different drumbeat. Than the way that our world goes. It's kind of swimming uh, upstream rather than going downstream. And uh, in the past couple weeks, we've really gotten at some of heart issues of integrity and uh, rooting out different sin issues and faithfulness and just different things. And it has been challenging and good. And today is going to be no different. Unfortunately, we won't have any more cute babies up front. Um, And what Jesus is going to share, I think, can be very challenging and I think was even scandalous. To his first century audience and so I want us to just uh, recognize that from the outset but uh, we're gonna dive right in if you have your Bible you can turn to Matthew 5 we're in, gonna be in verses 38 to 48 and we're gonna look at two different chunks of this passage today um, and if if you're interested on our website there is a tab that says follow along where it has all the verses already and it has some of the key thoughts from the day uh, I also has a spot where you can ask a question and so if you submit a question um, we would love to interact with you over any questions that you have. So feel free to uh, go there or if you want to open up your Bible or just follow along on the screen, we're going to have that up. So if you want to put that up, we're going to read Matthew 5:38 to 42 to start. And this is what it says. It says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. All right. So Jesus here is doing what he, we've seen him do the last couple weeks. He's in this cadence of sharing something and then taking it. And as I've said, kind of flipping it upside down. And the teaching that Jesus pulls out is this idea, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And this was something that if you, his first century audience would have known it instantly because we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, and in the book of Deuteronomy. And if you study ancient Near Eastern history, we see it outside of the Israelite community as well, within the, the way other societies uh, thought and processed things this phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, was a common phrase. Now for us, at least for me, I hear this when I'm just, if I'm just reading it quickly, just skimming over, I hear an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and it's like, what, what is that? Like, this sounds weird. This sounds kind of barbaric. Like, what, what is going on here? But what Jesus is bringing up here from the Old Testament is actually a pretty profound law that God gave his covenant people, the Israelites, back when he was giving them the law in books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Because this idea, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, it helped uh, the judges of the day in their legal systems. It was a principle that was meant to govern them as they were kind of uh, viewing different cases and someone came in and they did this to this person and it was meant to help make sure that justice prevailed, all right? especially for those who were vulnerable in society or wouldn't have the means to defend themselves. In, in a court case, if someone did something to me or to someone else, this principle, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, helped the governing authorities make sure justice happened. And what it helped protect against was a natural human instinct, which is when someone hits me, I don't want to just hit them back. I want to pummel them back. You know, when someone hurts me, I don't just want to get even with them. I want to put them in their place. And so this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth helped protect people from going above and beyond and having this excessive or demanding excessive payment for when someone wronged them. All right. It was basically a principle that was meant to be a wall within their legal system that helped prevent people from getting revenge. And in that case, I think it's a really profound and it's a really good principle. And it's something that we see today, even in our, in our own legal systems. This idea of, well, if someone hurts me, then they have to pay me back so much money or they have to give over so much property or whatnot. And um, so we have this idea still uh, around in our societies today. And I think it's, it's good because as human beings, we have this natural tendency not, just, not to seek justice, but to seek revenge. And this law, it's important to recognize, this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was meant to be done through the proper legal channels. It wasn't something God told his people that, hey, in your personal relationships, behind closed doors, you know, if someone hits your eye out, you get to punch their eye out. No, this was something that was meant to govern their society. Because often as people, when we take matters into our own hands, We're not very good at knowing the limits of, hey, this is where justice is. We're not very good at stopping there. We're really good, though, at going beyond it. And revenge, revenge is a great motivator, isn't it? But it's a horrible solution. It never really fixes anything. It only makes things worse. There was a movie that came out a number of years ago called The Revenant. And maybe you've seen it or you've seen movies like it where the whole plot is basically this story of revenge. And the main character, his name is Hugh Glass. He was a a trapper back in the day, and he was with his trapping buddies, and he gets hurt, and then one of the other trappers um, ends up murdering his son. And so the whole movie is this story of Hugh Glass getting better and going through all these adventures to try to get back at this guy. And at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, sorry, um, at the end of the movie, he catches up to him, and they're duking it out, and he has him, and he's ready to get his revenge. And the guy looks at him and says, I hope you enjoy this. It's not going to bring your son, your son back, though. And so Hugh Glass, in the final scene of the movie, it clicks in his brain. Wow. This revenge stuff, it's motivated me to do all of this. It's not going to solve anything. And he ends up not taking matters into his own hands. And so that's what this idea, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was meant to help stop, is people taking matters into their own hands and, and seeking revenge. It, this law was meant to stop the downward spiral of revenge and retaliation that we as human beings tend to have. Now, by Jesus' day, um, this, this phrase, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, they saw it as a principle. And so if, normally, if someone hurts someone else, they, they didn't actually physically maim them. They took it as a principle and said, okay, if you hurt this person, you're going to have to pay them back this much money or you're going to have to work for them for this set amount of time. And so they saw it as a governing principle. And, but God gave it to their people, his people, as something that was supposed to govern their legal systems. But people were taking this good law that was meant to prevent retaliation and revenge, and they were using it within their own personal relationships to basically keep tabs with other people say well you did this to me i'm going to get an eye for an eye with you you did that for me well i got to keep score or hey you you tipped that that's the the life scale it's it's unfair now cuz you tipped it in your favor so i'm going to get you back a little bit and make sure it's tipped at least balanced or preferably back in my way you know and so that's what people were doing and so jesus in what he's about to share he's trying to root out these deep heart attitudes that we as sinful human beings have that he says shouldn't be within the heartbeat Of kingdom people. And what he's about to say, I think would be very scandalous for first century people and can be very challenging for us too as 21st century Americans. So Jesus takes this law, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, and he immediately changes it and he deepens it. And he says, But I say, do not resist an evil person. In verse 39, but I say, do not resist an evil person. Now, first things first, I don't think what Jesus is saying. Now, some people have done this in history. Some people have taken this verse and said, well, Jesus says don't resist an evil person. We shouldn't have any police force because what do the police do? They stop crime. They resist evil people. And so people have taken it and tried to interpret it that way. I don't think Jesus is saying that because our God is a a God of justice. He doesn't want evil just to be running amok. And so he wants that. He wants justice and order. But Jesus, what he's saying here when he says, do not resist an evil person, he's looking at our personal relationships, and he's basically saying, he's challenging his people, hey, when someone comes at you wrongly, when someone comes at you with negative intent, don't be so quick to just defend and get back at them. All right? So that's the first thing he says. And he he goes on to then share three examples. I want to go through them quick and then circle back. And the first one, he says, is if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. That's still in verse 39. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. I don't know if you've seen a movie or, or whatnot or seen someone slap somebody, but uh, usually when that happens, usually there's a sense of like, oh my gosh, what just happened? Because it's, it's more than just in a physical attack. A slap usually is a sign of disrespect. And someone dissing on your honor. And that was true in Jesus' day. If someone came up and slapped somebody, it would be a huge insult to someone's personal honor. And so I don't think what Jesus is saying is, hey, if someone's physically abusing you or physically abusing your family and they quote this verse, then you have to let them do that. I don't think he's getting at that. I think he's using hyperbolic language to try to root out these heart issues. And so he's saying, hey, if someone attacks your honor, what should you do? Turn the other cheek to them. Because what's the natural human desire when someone disses our honor? When someone posts on Facebook about us that picture, or they start gossiping about us, or our husband gives us that look, or our wife says that nagging word again, and we're just our honor just feels dissed. The natural desire is to get back, right? It's to get even. And so Jesus is 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 getting at this deep desire we have. And so he's basically saying, "Hey, don't seek to retaliate. Don't seek to get even when someone comes at you and they're dissing your personal honor." I don't know about you, but I find that extremely challenging. And I think what Jesus is about to share gets even more challenging because he goes on and shares another example. In verse 40, he says, "If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, uh, give your coat Two. Give your coat two. Now, I don't think this example quite lands for us as 21st century Americans because we have lots of shirts, at least I do, and I have a number of coats where I could, hey, I want to wear this one today or it's too hot today, so I won't wear this heavy one or wear this one or whatnot. For Jesus' original audience, this would have landed completely differently because for most of people back then, for poor people, they probably would have had um, one inner garment, like a, like a tunic or something, or like for us, a shirt, and then one outer garment, like a cloak or something like that. And so for 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 Jesus to say, hey, if someone sues you, takes you to court, and they take your inner garment and your outer garment, they're taking a lot of your possessions. They're taking um, your only set of clothes, your only way to cover yourself. They're taking your, your means to keep warm. And the cloak was something that was so near and, and dear to people because it, it protected them, it covered their their themselves up. And in the old testament we see a number of times in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, where it talks about how someone legally couldn't take your cloak from you and, and keep it. Alright? In Exodus and in Deuteronomy it talks about how if someone if you get in legal matters with someone, um, they could basically take they could take a bunch of stuff from you if you didn't meet the requirements of the legal obligations, but your cloak, they couldn't. Now, you could give up your cloak as collateral for something, but legally, come nighttime, they had to give it back to you so you could cover up and stay warm. We see that in the Old Testament. And so really, the cloak was a personal right that every single person had, no matter how rich or how poor you were. Your cloak was your cloak, and no one could take it from you. And so here Jesus uses this scandalous example of, hey, if someone takes you to court and they want to take your shirt, give them your cloak as well. And now a person, Jesus' original audience, they would be exposed, which would be shameful. They wouldn't have ability to cover themselves and to keep warm or to stay out of the rain. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if, remember, if he's talking about if an evil person comes to you, don't resist them. If someone seeks you're wrong, don't resist them. Don't even resist them if they want to infringe on your personal rights is what he's getting at here. How are we doing? Pretty, pretty easy stuff? I don't think so. Verse 41, we're going to go on because he continues on and shares another example. He says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. And again, his original audience would have totally understood this because the Israelites back then were under the rule of the Romans. And it would have been common practice for a Roman to come into town and if they're, they're carrying a heavy load or whatnot, they could just pick up anyone along the street and say, Hey, carry this for me. Carry it for me for another mile. And imagine if you were that person that that soldier singled out. Like you're going about your day, you're doing, uh, you're working in the fields or tending your flock and a soldier comes up and says, hey, drop all your stuff. Your stuff doesn't matter. What matters is helping me carry my stuff for another mile. Imagine how annoying and humiliating that would be, especially if you are like a task person and you have a list, a to-do list to do and they just ruined your day. Like that would be so difficult. And yet Jesus says, hey, if this oppressor comes to you, these people who are oppressing you as a nation, these Romans, if one of them comes up to you, and I'm sure some of Jesus' audience would have had this experience, if one of them comes up to you and says to carry my gear for me for a mile, do the crazy thing and actually bless your oppressor and go the extra mile. And so what I think Jesus is really getting at here is this idea of, hey, as human beings, we have this heart attitude where, when the scales of life get unbalanced and they tip in someone's favor, what would it look like of, for us instead of trying to balance the scales or to put them back in our favor? What if we start to put them more in other people's favor, even if that person means wrong to us? And I think he sums it up well in verse 42, where he says, "Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want." to borrow. And here I think Jesus is plainly laying it out, the importance of generosity and of giving of ourselves, even of our possessions to others. So what is Jesus getting at here? Just a couple qualifiers. One, I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, let evil run amok in our community. When it talks about slapping someone, when someone slaps your cheek, turn the other cheek, I don't think he's saying, hey, it's okay and I don't think he's permitting abuse or anything like that. And when we look at the way that Jesus handled someone slapping him, because we have an example of that in John 18, and we have an example of Paul uh, going to be slapped in Acts 23, in both of those cases, we don't see them physically turning the other cheek. We actually see them talking back to the people who are slap them or who are going to slap them. And they challenge the justice system that is going on in those scenarios. So I think what we need to do is we need to take what Jesus is saying, we need to recognize there is some hyperbolic language here. So he's kind of going up over the top to try to catch our attention and to get at some of these heart issues that we have. And when it talks about giving to those who borrow and ask, I don't think Jesus is saying, "Hey, if if a drunk person comes up to you and is asking for your wallet, I don't think he's saying you have to give them your wallet." I think he's, he's trying to get at, again, some deep heart issues here. And it's this reality that the law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was meant to stop this downward spiral of revenge and retaliation. But as people, we always want to try to balance the scales of life, make everything fair, make sure we get what we deserve. We, you know, They did this, all right, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. All right, I need to retaliate. I need to get what I deserve. They infringed on my rights. Well, I'm going to infringe on their rights. I think Jesus is trying to get out these things and help us to realize that as his followers, there's meant to be a new pattern of life. And it's a pattern of seeking to bless those people in our life, even if they seek to do us wrong. Jesus would rather our heart beat with generosity rather than retaliation. And I think that that is the heartbeat of of kingdom people compared to our old selves. Now, if you, uh, Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians about how we as Jesus followers are meant to put off the old man and put on the new man. And so the old man we have to put off is this desire to keep score in everything. Everything has to be fair, and I have to have my honor, and I have to have my rights, and to say, you know what? Those things ultimately don't matter because I have a new identity. My identity is rooted in Jesus. And so I can now give from that identity to other people Even if people seek to do me wrong. Because the old way of doing life, before we came to know Jesus, was everything in life we would hold with a closed fist and we would keep it close to the chest, right? Our rights, our honor, our possessions, we would keep it here and this is mine. I have to protect it. And Jesus is getting at that desire, that sinful desire we have and saying, what if we had an open hand with these things and we were extending it to others? It would drastically change things. And this is really hard. And I think applying it to our life can be challenging because I think we need to have wisdom in how we apply it. But I think it drastically changes how we view people when we view them in this way rather than the normal way we seek to view them. And so what I think Jesus is saying here is revenge is purposely seeking to tip the scale back in our favor. And Jesus is calling us to purposefully tip the scale in someone else's favor, even if they are against us. Even if it's that boss that keeps asking us to do things, or it's like, you, you ask these people to do so little, and you keep asking me to do so much, this is unfair. Or that person who keeps infringing on my personal honor on Facebook, they keep posting about this, or that gossipy neighbor, oh man, they're just driving me crazy. And it can be really hard to deal with people when they are coming at us with a, with negative intent. But because our identity is rooted in Jesus and what he's done for us, we now can view them differently. And that's what I think Jesus is going to get at in the next set of verses, verses 43 to 48. So that's where we're going to go quick because I think grasping this section helps us see the importance and the reality that we can do what Jesus was asking in the last section. So this is what it says. Uh, Could you read this with me? It says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, What reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So again, Jesus is doing this cadence. He's pulling out a a known truth, or a known principle, and then he's going to, challenge it and deepen it. And the known principle is this idea of that you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, we see where it talks about loving your neighbor, but the idea of hating your enemy, you won't find that quotation anywhere in the Old Testament. You won't find hate your enemy. Now in the Old Testament, we do find some places, especially in the Psalms, where it does talk Uh, shares some pretty strong language about one's enemies. Where King David, he's he's crying out to God about his enemies and wanting justice. And it it can be challenging to read those things. But I think we need to recognize that as God's kingdom people, there's a difference between the way we're supposed to live and act towards people and crying out to our Heavenly Father about the pains that we're experiencing. There's a difference there. Where when someone hurts us, we're able to, like King David, cry out to him, cry out to God about, this really hurts. This is painful, God. I don't think God wants us just to be stoic and just hold it all in. I think he wants us to share these things with him. And so we can share about the pain that our enemies are bringing on us. But when it comes to living and how we treat people, the people, Jesus' original audience, would have had this idea of, yeah, I love my neighbors, but my enemies, I'm gonna forget about them. And not only am I gonna pray against them, but I'm not gonna treat them well because they're my enemies. And that's what we as sinful human beings, that's what we're supposed to do, right? But Jesus wants to challenge this, this idea that we should love our enemies, and he says that we should even pray for those who persecute us. We should have a desire to want to bless them and want their good so much to the point that we're praying. For them, and he uses two two examples to drive home this point. The first is a positive example, where he talks about how God uh, shows His common graces to all people. He talks about how God sends sunshine to the good and the evil person, and he talks about how God sends rain to the good and the evil person. And I don't know about you, when I read that and I think, why would I want God to send rain on me? Like, as I don't, I, I'm not a farmer, so I don't necessarily think about the rain uh, too often, but Back, Jesus' original audience hearing that, wow, God sent sunshine and rain because they were an agrarian society. Like God does that for both the good people and the bad people. He blesses their crops. He provides their food for both the good person and the bad person. Jesus is using this as an example to say, hey, our heavenly father has radical love even to those who are against him. And then Jesus uses a negative example where he points out the way the tax collectors and the pagans love. And he talks about how, hey, the tax collectors, they even love people who love them. And the pagans, they love people who do good to them. And what Jesus is getting is that, hey, even the people who are kind of at the bottom of society for his audience, because the tax collectors would have been seen as like the lowest of the low. Because a tax collector back then, when Rome came in and they were collecting their taxes, they would have put Israelites or Jewish people in charge of gathering the taxes so that the community of people would hate that Jewish person who was a traitor to them. And so if, when Jesus brings up the tax collector, his audience would have immediately been like, Yeah, even the, the lowest of the lowest society, those scum who steal from us, they even get this idea of, hey, I'm gonna love those who love me, and I'm gonna love those who benefit me. Even the tax collectors get this. And so Jesus, he's calling his audience to something different to say, hey don't just act the way that normal people act because you're kingdom people now. Act the way our heavenly father acts, which is where he loves the good and the evil. He loves the people who do bad and the people who do good. He loves the people that are for him and the people who are against him. And so what I think Jesus is getting at is that we are called to be mirrors of God, not mirrors of society. Because our society the way we as natural sinful human beings act is, hey, they're different from me or they annoy me or I don't like them or they hurt me or they're a threat. So I'm just going to keep them out there and I'm going to stay with my people. And I'm going to bless these people, but forget them. And that's challenging and it's difficult. And I see, that I, I see this uh, idea of loving our enemies played out really well in Luke 10. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, if you're familiar with it, where, where the if you know the story, there's a guy he's walking along and he gets robbed and he's left for dead, and uh, he's a Jewish guy, and there's two Jewish guys who walk by him, and instead of helping him, their own countrymen they walk along the other side of the road, and then a Samaritan, who if you know the history, the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along, there was uh, uh just they were enemies of each other. And in the story, Jesus tells the Samaritan comes and helps the Jewish guy. And he blesses him and he cares for him. And ultimately, we see something really amazing about Jesus. See, he right here, he's calling us to do something that he then went and did himself. Jesus didn't just call us to do something without first showing us how to do it. And the ultimate example of that is the cross. Did Jesus deserve to die on the cross? Like, did he deserve that? He's the God, the creator of the universe. He's, he's holy and perfect. He, he went around healing people and blessing people. He loved and served people. Like, if anyone deserved to die on a cross, it wasn't Jesus. And yet Jesus died on the cross. Why? Because he loves us. And Romans 5, 8 to 10 says it really well. It says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And then he went and he loved us who were originally his enemies. You and me, if you're here and you are a father of Jesus, we were once sinners and enemies of God. And he said, you know what? I love you so much that I'm going to go through the most unfair thing imaginable. I'm going to die on the cross. And so this whole idea of um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, imagine if Jesus had gotten to the trial scene before his crucifixion, and he starts quoting Old Testament verses, and he starts seeking an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and he brings the power and the glory of God into the room and says, you know what, this has to be fair. He would have never died on the cross for us if that would have been his attitude. Because Jesus endured the unfairness of the cross in order to love his enemies, which was us. And so when it comes to this whole idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we first have to start with, well, Jesus, what did he do? He loved us, his enemies, and he allowed uh, his personal honor and his personal rights to be infringed on. Why? For our benefit and for, God, for, the, for the God's kingdom to go forth. And I think that's really the lens by which we should view these things when it comes to trying to figure out, hey, how do we apply these things to our lives? If, if allowing someone to infringe on our honor is gonna help God's kingdom go forth, then maybe we think about hey, maybe this is an okay thing. Now, if someone is coming into our lives and they're abusing us and whatnot, that's a different thing. We need to step back and we need to have wisdom there and recognize that, hey, God wants there to be justice in this world. And he doesn't doesn't permit those things. He doesn't want those things to happen. But sometimes God allows um, our personal honor to happen. He allows or excuse me, he allows our enemies to infringe on our personal honor and to, for wrong people to go against us. And when we as his kingdom people react differently, when we mirror God, rather than mirroring the world, it blows people's minds and they see, wow, how in the world could this person do this? There must be something special about them. And it gives us an opportunity to share our faith with them. And I was thinking about, about this. There's a, a famous movie that came out, a number of years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago. I don't remember how old it is. It's called Radio. Has anyone ever seen it? A couple of you. It's about, it's a football uh, sh- movie. So if you like football, you'd probably like it. But in this, in this story, it's, it's a true story. And it takes place in the South, uh, back in the 60s or the 70s. And um, there is this high school football team. And every day, there is this uh, African-American man who is mentally handicapped. He walks by the high school every day. And uh, he's minding his own business. He's, he's a great guy. He's not doing anything wrong. And one day, the kids on the football team, they see this, and they, they bring him in, and they, they do some things to him that, that aren't good. And the coach finds out, and he's, he's mad. And he then invites this young man, which they then, they give him the nickname Radio because he loves radios. They invite him then to help out with the football team. And he becomes a part of the team, and he helps out with practices, and he goes to games, and a lot of people on the team start to realize Radio's awesome. He loves people, he's a good guy, they have nothing wrong with him. Except there's this one guy and his posse that they just don't like Radio. And his this guy, this high schooler, his dad doesn't like Radio and they're trying to do everything they can to get him in trouble basically. And at one point in the movie, they they convince Radio to go into the girls locker room. And he is he comes out and he is just Humiliated and he just feels horrible because he doesn't want to do anything wrong. Remember, he's he's mentally handicapped. And he comes out, and the coach goes to radio and he's like, Radio, I know you didn't do that on purpose. Someone put you up to this. Who did it? And radio decides not to seek retaliation on this guy. He says, You know what? I did it. No one else wanted me to do it. And the coach says, Radio. You don't have to own this. Like I know someone put you up there. He says, no. And so the coach goes to this guy, and he, the guy who put radio up to him, and he's talking to him. And the guy's like, tell radio, thanks for ratting me out. And the coach is like, radio didn't rat you out. He wanted to protect you. And it's at that point that this guy, his heart changes. Because he sees the way radio lives differently than the way he expects people to live. Instead of seeking retaliation, radio seeks to defend his enemy and to bless him. And it is that that changes this guy's life. And then he becomes friends with radio. And as kingdom people, when we realize what Jesus has done for us, I think that should change our lives too. And it should give us a lens for then saying, you know what? When I'm living my life and people are infringing on my personal honor and this person, they, my boss wants to get me and my husband wants to do this and my, my wife and all these things and just everything is against me, rather than saying let's tip the scales and let's get even or let's get back at them, let's seek to bless them because that's what Jesus has done for me. Challenging stuff, I think. So if you're here today and you know Jesus, I'd encourage you to take this lens and to filter it through your life and to think about maybe this week, who is it that has been against you that you can seek to love? Now have wisdom with the different scenarios that can pop up in life. Talk to someone if you're not sure about how you should handle things. But let's seek to tip the scale in other people's favor rather than in our own all the time. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He tipped it way in our favor rather than in his And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'd encourage you to think about about this man, Jesus, about the fact that he came to earth and he loved you so much that rather than demanding his own honor, he said, you know what? I'm going to love you. You were my enemy, but I'm still going to choose to die for you because I love you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being the loving God that you are. It is amazing that you would love a people like us who are sinful people and we mess up and we make mistakes and we often seek to hold on to the things of life and make it all about us rather than to make it about you and about others. And so I pray that as your kingdom people, may you help root out these heart issues that we have and may we make it more about you and your love. May we find security and identity in what you have done for us and may that motivate us to go out and to bless others, even those who mean to do us wrong. Thank you for doing that for us, for not just saying these things, but for modeling these things as well. Amen.